0: You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast
1: for players by players, and all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to
0: Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to Arsenal Pass, episode 22. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion, Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing?
1: Good, thanks, Brendan. How are you?
0: Good, good. So today we're doing a sort of Monarch recap, looking back at the Road to Nationals data from the past six weeks, reflecting on the season as a whole, and giving our initial thoughts on construction moving forward with the release of Tales of Aria.
1: Anyway, Hayden, before we get into that, as always, how was your week in Flesh and Blood? Yep, good week in Flesh and Blood. Uh, finally got to play two Road to Nationals, which was awesome. Uh, two online Road to Nationals on the Saturday and the Sunday. Managed to win one on Sunday, which was awesome. Uh, piloting the you know our, our chain deck that we've had for most of the season, sort of first time actually playing it properly. The week leading up to it, I probably played the most games I played with it, uh, and, and testing. I haven't really been playing it, so uh, that was good. Sun, uh, Saturday was was interesting. The first one, I I had bubbled out at ninth on um on day one, so I felt like I had to really redeem myself on Sunday and managed to yeah managed to take it. Was it was good. They're both both sort of over fifty player events. Um. There was in, in Australia. There was actually each day there was two online Roads nationals because the the stores that had yet to run this just had to get them done in the last weekend. So there was a uh, yeah a lot of a lot of events happening in Australia, which was uh, which was cool to see. So you know four more Roads nationals winners, a few more people got their invites, and yeah now we're just looking to find out when when nationals will be. But no good good week overall, but of testing as well, um, of course with yourself and and Dante heading to Vegas um, this coming weekend and. And yeah, that's that's kind of enough for me. What about yourself, Brendan? Uh, not much. So, <laughs> no my <guess>. road,
0: <laughs> my notes here were big chill. So, I actually finally didn't have a road to national event. So, I had five weeks of it, five weekends, um, most of which of them I was traveling for. So, it was nice to kind of finally have a weekend off. Um, obviously, there's kind of a silver lining there, or not a silver lining, but uh, there's fine print in the sense that I do have the Colony of Vegas coming up here very very soon so we have been testing and just kind of preparing we're not we're not really kind of slamming the testing i think that we we've spaced it out um you know enough over the past few months to where i'm comfortable i don't feel like i kind of have to you know prepare last minute and you know keeping things relatively chill sometimes pretty high level making sure we understand our theory understand our deck and the sideboard completely and less more like kind of game to game micro play um so yeah it's interesting And I'm just really excited for Vegas here. I'm excited to finally meet Dante. Uh, I'm going to fly into Vegas Thursday afternoon. He's going to be sitting there waiting for me, waiting to pick me up at my hotel. And then, yeah, I'll show him around. He's never been to Vegas, so that'll be interesting. I don't think Dante has really been out of Canada, like, ever. Um, Maybe once or twice, so Vegas is definitely going to (laughs) be a shock. It's a weird place. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Hayden, take us into the news. Yeah, I
1: mean, we we can't go far without week two of spoilers. Is uh, is kind of I think titling any sort of news headlines right now for Flesh and Blood, which is it's been such a every every preview season that comes around. I mean, it's just um you know, get so excited the the release schedule from whether it be you know content creators or we've got some stores getting cards or whoever it might be that's re- releasing cards. You know, it's kind of like a, okay, like who's up next? What are we seeing? When are we seeing the new hero? When are we seeing Briar? Um, so it's been it's been a another good week of of releases. You know, I think by the time this drops, we're going to see a, a big chunk of cards. But then over the weekend of Vegas, I mean, we're basically guaranteed to see to see everything, right? We're going to have 500 or whatever people opening the set, um, playing sealed. I think you know by the end of the weekend, the uh, if not the card official card gallery, because they might not be putting it up in the official card gallery. But if you're on the Discord or uh, you're on Reddit or somewhere, you're going to see all of the cards from from the set, no doubt. So um, heading into pre-release next weekend, there's definitely going to be you know, a lot of, a lot of information out there in terms of, uh, walking in with, um, you know, ready to tackle the limited format, which is, which is cool in terms of, you know, what we've got going on as well. Just wanted to share that. So we have our, uh, limited set review coming out next week. So that'll be at the, uh, the usual time that the pod drops. So still gives you, you know, uh, if not, we'll try and get it out earlier, actually to give people as, as much time as possible, um, with, with our, our set review, these are longer, longer episodes, uh, and, you know, getting to the pre-release, I'm sure people might want to break those up over a couple of listens before they head to the pre-release as well. I just want to share um, our, our release schedule did change uh, two weeks ago, just shifted to a bit more of a, a more formulaic, I guess it's, it's a bit more of a set time for us now in terms of when things come out. So the podcast still comes out at the same time, which is, you know, uh, Central, that's or CST, sorry, that's uh, Thursday at 8 p.m., which is Friday, 11 a.m., Sydney time or one PM if you're in New Zealand. A time of the round now comes out on Saturday morning at uh, eleven AM uh, CST, and the gameplay now now drops at Tuesday. Tuesday is at ten AM. So um, yeah, just wanted to share our release schedule in case you are looking for our videos, thinking maybe something's meant to be already up and it's not quite. That would be why. Next thing, Vegas this weekend. Of course. Brennan, you just spoke about it. You're obviously off to, to go. I will be sat here and I'll be watching the stream. I'll be glued to it all weekend. So if you if you are at a at a loss or loose end this weekend, you wanna watch some flesh and blood, you wanna watch some constructed. I think this is gonna be the first time we're gonna have classic constructed actually streamed. Uh, you know, a, a, a proper a big event outside of, you know, maybe Road to Nationals, things like that. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have the stream to watch. So come join me in the stream. I'll be in there uh, watching what's happening. Probably have to have a bit of a weird sleep schedule this weekend, but I definitely want to make sure I watch as much of it as possible. I'm very excited to see, see what, what this, uh, the last weekend of Monarch Class Constructed has, has in store for us.
0: And I want to mention, we recently had on our YouTube channel, we had a Bolton Saber video go up, mostly detailing how the combo works and most importantly, how to beat it after that. So go check that out, especially if you're playing in Vegas. I can't recommend enough that you make sure you understand uh, what that deck is trying to do. Um, and you understand the few little tips that you need to employ to give yourself the best chance of playing against them. I think that this is, without a doubt, the perceived, quote-unquote, dark horse of the format. It's been winning a lot over in Europe. People have seen that. They've seen the results. Um, and they think they'll be you know, kind of bringing a cheeky deck if they bring that, <laughs> and they'll be able to squeeze out some wins. So I expect it to be very, very represented, actually. Probably maybe the second most popular deck after Chain. Um, if not that, definitely third or fourth. It's really important that you're prepared for Saber Bolton. Um, Like I said, it is a combo deck, so it's just important to understand what they're doing. You know where the game state is, and ultimately, you'll be able to kind of uh, definitely increase your chances of beating it after that. Anyway, huge shout out and thank you to all of our 120 plus patrons right now. It's been an incredible journey since we've started, and it's helped so much for the podcast to be able to get an editor on. and Hayden has got a reasonable life schedule now he's actually getting you know a few hours of sleep per night, so that's very good and I know he is also very thankful so again, a million thanks and you know we're gonna keep trying to pump out good content for you guys so we do have another patreon kind of exclusive exclusive uh topic pod coming out very soon post monarch i'm still definitely considering what that will be maybe it'll be based on the chain deck um who knows just depends what everybody's gonna be interested in I know that we're keen to kind of detail everything we know about chain all the internal testing you know initial thoughts initial deck builds and how we kind of stayed on that deck for a long time the theory behind it um, so maybe that will be the <laughs> be the format for it also want to shout out that uh, you know we do finally we have secured kind of our playmat production a lot of people have been asking us for a long time um, so we finally been able to get that done should have them arriving here in Texas in the next two weeks um, and yeah they are so they are the Arsenal playmats that you've kind of Seen before in some of our videos, or maybe you've seen them in person. They're very, very similar to the Legend Story Studios playmats. They're you know, the same thickness, kind of the same feel. And we'll be selling them through our Patreon. So, gonna start out just Patreon exclusive, probably stay with that for quite a long time. Um, and yeah, I think it'll be like 19.99 for a playmat and maybe like $5 shipping in the US and international. We're so still gonna figure out. Uh, but yeah, if you're interested in a playmat, check it out. It'll be on Patreon. Doesn't matter what tier you're on. Um, we will, you know, it'll be open to everybody on there
1: yeah and these these play these playments actually so we it did take us a while to to sort these out i know people have been asking um we had a couple of samples which you would have seen myself and brendan playing with on there'd be videos or wherever it might be we were just been quite happy with with these in terms of like the quality but um this one that we we finally got done we think is is a really good quality i mean i haven't seen the physical sample brendan's got it but every time i see it in in um his camera whenever we're playing games the the i guess the the coloration looks so good so i'm glad that we we waited and found these i think these are yeah these are gonna look great awesome cool moving on um did already mention our upcoming set review just wanted to say you know in terms of what that looks like if, if people haven't seen our monarch set review that we did that's you know we re- we review commons and rares. we take out you know give our first takes on their strengths weaknesses uh the format the mechanics and those cards and uh of course you know we give our grade to the cards so Um that'll be up, you know, by this time next week. No commander cookout this week, Brennan. We're gonna go back to some more spoiler discussion. Uh but you know post post tales of area will be back with with listener questions. So I want to dive dive straight in and start talking about some of the questions. uh, sorry, some of the cards. If you do have questions that you do want to submit for a future uh commander cookout, you can send us to ArsenalPassfab at gmail.com. Brennan. We've got to start. I think we have to go to, I think we're just going to talk about Briar to start with. I mean, you know, over the past few weeks, we've talked about old timer bit. we've talked about Lexi. This is the week, I guess, our last sort of discussion before we get to our set review and then the pre-release and release. I think we've got to talk about Briar, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that a lot of people, like Runeblade was definitely surprising as the last class. Um, very interesting. This, you know, this Runeblade, though, to me, looks very, very different from Viserai. Mm-hmm. And chain um which i guess goes without saying but i think that even though we're getting another rune blade um it's gonna shake up the you know shake up the game quite a bit and we'll feel you know vastly different from what we're currently playing with
1: yeah one of the things you asked me this as well Brendan. like you know you're like this is the last class i was expecting and i my response was i am surprised but i'm not you know i'm not shocked like it was not the last class i was expecting um, and that's because I genuinely, like, I truly think that Runeblade is a pretty, it's a pretty mighty class for, for Legend Story Studios and for Flesh and Blood in terms of what they do. You know, they put a lot of time and effort into the lore of of the Runeblades. Um, you can see that they're very much, I guess, of one with. With the land of of wraith, um, and so I wasn't surprised. I guess in the end, well, I was a little surprised. <laughs> I just still think it was going to be, you know, a shaman or or shapeshifter or whatever it might be. But um, to to have this end up being uh, a runeblade, I don't think is actually it's actually that crazy. And I think, like you say, like it is a pretty a pretty different approach in terms of the the way you know the, the core mechanics. I think in the way that the the class plays and feels, will of course, has have, have its similarities. But so much of I guess what is happening in the cards we've seen so far is, uh, has those differences. Whether that be for what we see like in limited play, I think that's quite vastly different actually. But even to constructed play, of course, as well. So I'm really excited to to play with Briar. I'm excited by these like the tokens we've seen as well. You know, the embodiment of Earth, the embodiment of Lightning. Um, I think these are really cool effects. Uh, like embodiment of Earth in particular, <laughs> you know, to have an effect that impacts the defensive side is something that we haven't really seen as much you know you have cards like forge for war things like that that we've seen in the past but to have this token that that actively means that when you're playing the game you need to be thinking two to three turns ahead uh, you have to be thinking almost a full turn cycle ahead because what you think your opponent say you're playing against a, an elemental room player, you're playing against Briar, what they do on their following turn is actually going to heavily impact what you do on your, your your subsequent turn so now not only are you thinking about the turn cycle but i think you need to think more about the the second turn cycle uh, the turn cycle preceding that so um, oh, sorry. After that, so it's it's really yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm excited to play to play Briar and, and Limited, uh, and excited to look at it and Construct it as well. Anything else you want to say about Briar before we look at some of these cards, though?
0: um I want to just quickly read off Briar's kind of hero text here because it's important. I don't know for me, yes, like it's important to like really just laser it in your mind because <laughs> like it is slightly complex initially. So we have Briar, Warden of Thorns, um Essence of Earth and Lightning. So you may have Earth and Lightning cards in your deck uh 40 health for intellect standard stuff and it says whenever an attack action card you control deals damage to an opposing hero create an embodiment of earth token whenever you play your second non-attack action card each turn create an embodiment of lightning token so quickly let's talk about the tokens as well so embodiment of earth this is the attack action when it hits going to create this um embodiment of earth says non-attack action cards you control have plus one while defending at the beginning of your action phase destroy embodiment of earth so really interesting and then quickly i'm gonna to go to lightning before we kind of talk about that as well so embodiment of lightning this is the two non-attack actions when you and this is an, both these are auras by the way so it says when you play an attack action card destroy embodiment of lightning and the attack gains go again hayden what are your thoughts on this i mean the embodiment of earth token kind of gets me the most excited obviously go again you know playing with a lot of go again is just uh sort of flesh and blood's bread and butter for these past few months but the idea of getting more defensive value on my non tech actions, which are particularly, you know, most of the time in my case, my block twos gets me pretty excited.
1: Yeah, it just gives me the feeling that um, one of the things I was a bit worried about with 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 Briar, especially when we saw some of the cards um, initially come out, and we'd seen the Earth token. But even if I just if I set the Embodiment of Earth to the side and looked at Embodiment of Lightning and some of the cards, one of the things I was worried about was just how this interacts with the the especially the ice cards in the set um you know frost tokens in particular and i think embodiment of earth allows you to play uh, a less linear game which i think is kind of my overall takeaway from so far what we've seen with with this set is that a lot of the classes i think are going to be um a bit more in sort of the middle to even you know defensive or in, in Briar's case i think it could be a bit more aggressive but they're not they're not as linear as maybe um i felt that some of them were in monarch and in, when i say linear i don't mean that in a bad context for monarch in terms of that they were just like you know one style and it's how you to play it but the the cards that we had the abilities that we had were very synergistic for i think one style of play uh whereas i think Mm -hmm. with embodiment of earth that actually kind of takes that uh, and flips it a little bit um and of course just the way that we are going to see ice interact i think all three of the elements interact really interestingly together as well so um yeah i I really like you know what embodiment of, of lightning is doing as well in terms of you know it's pretty it feels a bit more like you say stock standard but i think it's important to have these two that balance off they've there's requirements to fulfill them so you do need to be structuring your turns your deck needs to be structured in a way that allows you to get the most out of these um but then there's these effects that give you you know pretty pretty solid buffs as well um and yeah you just need to work out the best ways to use them
0: yeah i would say at face value obviously it's kind of a tangent but this limited set is For me, I think at first glance has been the most complicated. Um, There's just like when I look at the set, I look at these spoilers coming out. There's like so many interactions um, that are going on, mostly because both heroes kind of deal with this sort of, um, you know, dual essence or dual talent system, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call. Um, And they're both complementary and usually kind of polar at the same time. Um, So like what archetypes will be born out of that is definitely sort of hard to grasp the scope of what's going on when you're just looking at these spoilers card to card.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I think that's going to be something that we really really start to look at next week when we dive into the limited format. Um, we do we our do set review, of course, as well, is that how do these, these cards play out into certain different archetypes for each of the heroes? So, you know, immediately, one of the first things that comes up for me is that um, each of these classes obviously have it feels like two pretty separate impacts of what the elements can do, depending on if you know there's more Earth in the deck or there's more Lightning. If we're using Briar as an example, um, you can already see this. I think with with what's happening with Lexi, depending on you know whether that's more of a, you could have more of a Lightning build versus more of a um, Ice build with Lexi. I think pretty easily the way that the the non <laughs> non denominational element cards interact, so just your base element cards, um, which kind of feel you Know it, these are basically your generics in the set, uh, as the elemental cards, so yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic. And I think once we see all of the cards, it's going to be a lot clearer about exactly what their kind of place is because we haven't seen many generics so far. Um, if, have we seen any? Actually, I need to go and have a look. Uh, very, very few, if any. Um, it feels like the, the elemental cards are the kind of generics for the set, so they're also going to interact in interesting ways because most of those cards have, have effects on them, whether it be fuse, uh, whether it be um. You know, certain other things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, Do you have any kind of thoughts on Briar? Because like, or, you know, kind of any parting thoughts, sorry. <laughs> um, but I do want to talk about these, you know, speaking of slightly generic, let's talk class generic. I want to talk about these Runeblade boots because this is really, this got me really fascinated because if you talk about Runeblade as a class, like got a really solid chest, got two solid chests. We got Scalata and um, and Husk, both Fent. Some of the best pieces of armor in the game, in my opinion. i have got the Grasp. Amazing, um, and then in terms of hood, you know, we usually run Arkane Skullcap, but we also have kind of Dichotomy up there, mm-hmm. so we definitely have some choices. But now in the boots option, we have this Sutcliffe's Suede Hides. What is mm-hmm. your what's your opinion on that card so far?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we have, we have two options, right? <laughs> we can talk oh, about, yeah, there's the legendary <laughs> well, we'll as well.
0: Start with, start, start with the common. Yeah. First. We'll start yes, with the common. So smart. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, really interesting. Like when I saw this, this card, I think it's, it feels to me that um, once I saw Briar, this made a bit more sense in terms of, you know, where this would see play in in limited in terms of, you know, you break it, you give your attack action card, go again. Um, and then you can play a non-attack action and fulfill fulfill your requirements. Um, so you go like you have to have played a non-attack action to break uh, Cyclops' weight hides to get the to get the go again. So, but you can play you know non-attack action, action, non-attack action, uh, and and get some of your effects. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like it's probably going to be more so a limited card, I think, um, because it gives the attack action card go again. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I see it. I think I'm I'm probably more interested in what the the legendary boots can yeah. do to be honest.
0: So before we get into legendary boots, I think. Just as like sort of pairing with this, I've seen there's been so much just instant speed interaction in the set, and specifically in Runeblade, we're seeing a lot more instant speed interaction. You know, we did previously have, um, you know, uh, Rattlebones, and I think it was Escalada instant speed interaction as well. I believe it is. Yeah,
1: it must be. I think it might be. Uh, yeah, I it know. is. I, <laughs> I believe so. Well, okay. I'll, don't
0: I'll... don't t- don't take my word for it because I am notorious for just saying the absolute is. opposite thing. Um. But yeah, I mean, we're seeing so many. I mean, this is kind of across all of the classes in um, in Tales of Aria, but Runeblade specifically has definitely piqued my interest. Like, it seems like kind of a you know more instant instant heavy class in general. Now we see all these cards being expanded in the card pool.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it is instant speed. I just, I just, uh, just fact checked you just in case. See, I've never been wrong, right? <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the interaction is is really cool. Even what we brought talked about the legendary that's instant as well. Um, we've seen some. Yeah, we're going to see some, actually, some really interesting potential uh, interactions at instant speed with Runeblade and Constructed, I think, as well, with cards that we've, we've seen previously because of the way that Spellbound Creepers works, um, if we want yeah. to talk about that.
0: Yeah, let me go ahead and read it just <laughs> yeah, so we yeah, on the same page because there, there is a mouthful on this card. <laughs> so Spellbound Creepers, um, you've got legendary Runeblade equipment legs um, with one defense. And it says, once per turn instance, uh, sorry, instant, one resource, put a bind counter on spellbound creepers. You may play your next non-attack action card this turn as though it were an instant. Activate this ability only if you have attacked or defended with an attack action card this turn. And then a secondary set of text is, at the beginning of your end phase, destroy spellbound creepers unless you have dealt arcane damage this turn equal or greater to the number of bind counters on spellbound creepers. And this, uh, this equipment has Blade Break.
1: For one. Yeah, it's there's a lot going on here i think the my first initial reaction to this card was you know i'm excited that i have something for viscerai um to set up a more mid-rangey sort of maybe even aggressive viscerai because one of my kind of first impacts with like frost tokens my first initial thing was like wow like you know viscerai can just ignore these to an extent with like additional costs right with um yeah the discounts yeah with the discounts off off rune chance with um i've just forgotten the keyword <laughs> But they just reduce. Cost. I don't think they have a keyword, right? It just reduces the cost for each rune change. Yeah, I
0: was, was going to say, I was I was like, like, it's what keyword key are we talking
1: about? Um, yeah, and so spellbound creepers, you know, allowing you to play things, you know, like um, uh, see, now I'm just blanking on cards. The one that creates three rune chance at red. Um, Juice, reduce. reduce. Oh, um, that's the defense read, reaction. See,
0: uh, no, it's um, re- read the runes. Read, the, read the
1: runes. Thank you. So you play read the runes. You know, spellbound creepers. You then get to play your attack that's discounted. Uh, you get to keep having your turn. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I mean, this card, that's my initial thing, but I think there's, also, there's just a lot of interactions, like, you can Sonata uh, at instant speed. <laughs> like, you know, on it's you can nice. kill your opponent on their turn when they've dumped their whole hand and then Sonata them for, you know, 16 damage or whatever and um, kill them that way. So there's a lot oh, of wow. different things that are, are happening with Spellbound Creepers, and obviously, like, a pretty big, uh, you know, drawback. Like There's only so many times you're going to be able to do this, um because of the the cost effect on it right but i mean it's a powerful effect i think it needs to have this this ability um it's interesting in terms of, like from a flavor perspective like what spellbound creepers means for aria as well like it, it feels like they're from the demonstry right it doesn't feel like they're from from aria um even in the out like especially in the artwork. but even even just in the way that the, the card works so yeah interesting to see like where these kind of come from
0: yeah what I'm, I don't know the exact test text off the top of my head for Sonata Arcanics, but how annoying is it to Sonata Arcanics your opponent on their turn after they've ex- kind of blown their whole entire hand?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's probably, it might be a bit niche because you probably wanted to pop your rune chance and, and kill them anyway, but you could just get in like, you know, you could potentially be getting in free damage um, and finding, finding cards to defend with as well, with Sanada, which is really interesting. So you could make it an instant speed with, with Spellbound Creepers, fine cows to block with, and then still have your, your big turn on your turn as well. So it's, um, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a really, really cool card, and I'm, I'm loving the instant speed interaction at Rumbly. It's kind of, I didn't get the wizard that I was looking for this set, but I, I definitely am getting a taste, yeah. I want to talk <laughs> about uh, probably one of my favorite limited cards of all time, I think, already. What a cool um, That's going to be, yeah, it's going to be Deep Blue. Um, So, this is a generic equipment chest, uh, blocked for zero. It says action. Put a card from your hand on the bottom of your deck, destroy deep blue, gain three resources, go again. So, this is so good for so many reasons. And my favorite reason is probably one that doesn't come to mind immediately. So, a lot of people will see this and they'll think, okay, I get to put my red on the bottom of my deck and gain three resources like it was a blue. That's really good. You know, gaining the three resources, turning your red into a blue, that's awesome. You know what else is awesome? putting a red on the bottom of your deck and still you know you're still able to kind of play out your turn so if we talk about limited we're almost always seeing our second cycle of our deck you know in slower formats we'll see our third cycle as well to be able to you know putting a red at the bottom of the deck would you would usually be a cost that you'd be paying right like okay i'm not going to play my most optimized handout here in the first cycle of the deck because i want to make sure i have threats down in uh in my second cycle make sure i'm drawing a hand that has actual threats in the link game not just drawing four blues this lets you do that um for a very, very decent deal. And that's going to be really exciting. There's also the sink below effect, right? So if you're able to tuck this, your opponent doesn't know what it is and you can hide key tech cards. So if we talk about something like Welcome to Wraith, you could sink below down pummels, you could sink below down all kinds of funny stuff that your opponent would, you know, if your opponent was tracking your pitch, this would actively be something very hard for them to play around. It was like a whole nother mind game that was just, um, you know, you had, you kind of had to think about as you were playing that second cycle, if they played sink below's, uh,
1: yeah throughout the game mm-hmm. yeah i mean i completely agree it's one of the funniest things is that the two cards i think that i've been you know probably most excited about or two of the cards there's a lot of cards that have been exciting for me but two of the cards that have been most exciting for me have been deep blue and Frostfang, which are probably purely limited cards but i think just the design of them the way i think they're going to interact with limited the ways that you get to play these cards and construct turns around them i think is um just yeah it makes me really Really excited to dive in and play this limited format. and Deep Blue also has really, I really like the art, it's such a cool like flavor as well. I don't know, it's just a really cool card, so I'm excited. A little fun
0: fact, too. Yeah, so please. Deep Blue was actually na- the name of the first computer that they built mm. to try to um, beat the f- grandmaster in chess, like Kasparov. You probably know this because I think that, yeah, I think this year you're into this, <laughs> but stuff. it's cool. The name of IBM's computer was called Deep Blue, um, and yeah, I think it eventually won. I watched the whole documentary, <laughs> it's just like funny when I think about it. I wonder if that's the reference um just because it's like a pretty iconic name obviously at this point the first kind of supercomputer that could beat the grandmasters in chess
1: it's cool i like it um a couple of other last cards i think brennan i think we can't go past uh crown of seeds we find finally in the earth the legendary equipment which is a headpiece which says once per turn instant uh one resource put a face down card from your arsenal on the bottom of your deck draw a card and prevent the next one damage that would be, able- be dealt to your hero this turn really interesting card being able to trade you know a resource and and um, replace a potential arsenal card that you you don't want you know to, to sort of roll mm-hmm. the dice a little bit um to, and not only but that, that puts that card into your hand as well so you can actually turn that card into a defensive card so you know trading a resource um to do it which you know could be off something like a tunic it could be because we're looking at earth here this could be something for old time as well where you you pitch a blue pay one for crown um turn your arsenal into a defensive card or into you know a better card but, you know, and then also just play like storm play response staunch response or something yeah yeah the first
0: thing that comes to mind like, yeah.
1: oh, the card has a lot of um design space around it i think and really interesting the fact this also blocks for zero uh you know i'm just interested to see what this kind of what this will do i guess um for you know for briar as well like what does this mean for briar what does this mean for old time so far i think all the cards we've seen it's not immediately clear what this does but the, the effect is definitely a powerful one All right, Hayden, I want to close off with what, you know, I've been hearing the shouts of the
0: people. They printed Dawnblade (laughs) for the Runeblade hero. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, There was obviously, there was was quite a reaction to this card initially, but Dustblade, very interesting card. I'm actually very excited about it. It looks fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and read it off because this is another kind of a mouthful, and it's a bit complicated. So once, oh, it's a Runeblade weapon, sword, two-hander. It attacks for two. Um, obviously, I have zero defenses at Majestic. So it says, once per turn action, attack for one resource. When you attack with Dustblade, if you have played an attack action card and a non-attack action card this turn, put a plus one counter on Dustblade. At the beginning of your end phase, if you haven't played an attack action card and a non-attack action card this turn, remove all plus one counters from Dustblade. So, Hayden, this looks ridiculous first of all um looks very good initially but it's coming out in a set where we're gonna have to deal with taxes hand disruption all this kind of funky stuff so if i'm looking at dustblade in the vacuum of monarch um like the set we're playing right now card looks fantastic looks yeah. amazing looks like it would immediately make my deck right yeah, um, it looks ridiculous. in the context yeah. yeah in the context of tales of aria maybe less so still very good card yeah. but um there's a lot of stuff on the set that's going to help deal with this
1: yeah i mean this is like the ultimate tempo card right the ultimate tempo weapon Um, you know you think about Dawnblade being the ultimate tempo weapon but you know if you're able to block out Dawnblade, you get to stall the tempo there's no way to interact with this from a a purely you know if your opponent doesn't doesn't want you to right if you think about in the context of like you said previous sets you'd be like oh you know if i can maybe get them with the cnc or i force them with like a crippling crush then they'll have to block and i'll lose tempo but the defense reaction and blocking out is not going to do it but in this format where like you just already said it we have frostbite tokens we have um, hand disruption this uh this feels like it's going to be bit less impressive i still think the card is very good we're going to see this card do a lot of work uh it's it looks very good in, in briar um but doesn't look to the quite the extent that maybe it, it would have been you know i think if you know there's no way this card would have ever been able to print it in, in monarch for instance it would have just been been too strong um one sure. resource to effectively you probably keep those counters pretty easily uh given the Absolutely. format we said and i think and i think this actually if anything this indicates to me even more that the format we're about to enter into is uh is not going to be a friendly place to something like Dustblade.
0: <laughs> I know. that's what, This is funny. Is like We're definitely not saying that the card isn't good because the card is it's really good. freaking good. Yeah. It's just also being printed alongside the Frost talent system, which makes this card harder ice to system. kind of... Yeah, sorry, the ice system. Yeah. And it makes this card harder to kind of do its thing. Like if it was able to run rampant in any other format prior to this, yes, I would see this card and I would immediately be like, okay, starting week zero, we're building a deck based around this card. But now... <laughs> Um, while it is still very, very good, it doesn't look as warping as it would be in a you yeah. know a less hand disruption taxing format.
1: Yeah, agree, agree, agree. All right, Brennan, Well, we could sit here and probably talk about these spoilers for days, uh, but we will, of course, as we said, go through all the commons and rears next week in our set review, and we'll probably uh maybe in time in the round depending on what we have you know if we have time for <laughs> we will uh we will look at some of these majestics as well in a, in a bit more detail but of course as we move through the season as we move into tales of Aria, there's going to be a lot of time for for us to talk about some of these cards and the way they might impact constructed and um, once we have a bit of a handle on the full set you know what uh what heroes we're looking at what decks we're looking at what uh, we think the format might shake out like it is important to remember in terms of where we are right now, tails vary. we do have a bit of a, a limited season before we get into national season. So there is a bit of a break uh, in terms of, I guess, focus on constructed. I do believe that we, there's a possibility that we might get another skirmish season. Uh, that's, I, I, I don't have any sources for that. I just feel like based on uh, what we had this year, that we could have a skirmish season into early next year, post the national season as well. So, so Blitz might come back onto the radar once we get through um, the limited and national season.
0: Mm, uh, okay so i'm going slightly off topic here but i do just want to get your thoughts immediately hayden uh what do you think about like don't give me something long-winded would you be excited for another blitz focused uh season format um or you know putting a more competitive emphasis on blitz or would you be happy to just kind of live in the realm of limited and classic constructed
1: yeah i'd love if the skirmish season was focused the next skirmish season focused on limited okay for
0: sure <laughs> all right to the main topic of the pot
1: <laughs> all right moving to the main topic this week something a little bit uh, a little bit more unique a bit different this week brennan instead of you know one of our our class deep dives or one of our level ups or a specific focus on one topic inflation blood we've got a couple of things to discuss but it all does stem from the road to national season that we've just uh we've just lived through you know past past six weeks have been road to nationals we've obviously got uh, the Vegas calling this weekend which is going to close up the monarch constructed season but then we've got other upcoming callings as well um, and we're going to see you know what tails looks like and what it's going to bring uh, to change up the classic classic constructive format, especially as we head towards Road to Nationals, which is going to be, you know, sort of uh, end of October, November into December. Um, so first of all, want to start with looking at the data for Road to Nationals. We spoke about the data for Road to Nationals after week two. Uh, and uh, week one, I believe,
0: right? We did a week one recap, I think, of
1: Road to National. Yeah, we had Dave on week one, and then week two, we we looked at some, some data um, as well. So six weeks now down over 156 uh, events that we've had i wanted to talk about what some of these numbers have actually shown us and there's been there's been some changes as well like it's not been a, a very linear season um, although if you look at the data it does feel like if you look at a top level that it's just been a, quite a linear season certain heroes have done well others haven't but there's there's been some shifts as we've gone through so first place i want to talk about Brennan, is wins by hero so everyone kind of knows that chain's been pretty dominant this season that's 59 wins of the 156 events that have been recorded. Again, want to give a shout out to uh, Town Number Nine, Davis Kingsley, for all the work he's done in putting this sheet together, this uh, results tracker. You can go check that out as well. I think he's got a link on Discord. Um, if not, we'll actually pop a we'll pop a link in the in the description as well, so you can go and have a look at the data yourself if you want to. But wins by hero, so 59 wins for Chain. That's 38%. So the, the interesting thing is that Chain actually had like not a great first week in in this road to nationals format. Yeah, no, it was a slower start, but really from week two and two to six, like chain has, has been has been the dominant deck, right, Brendan?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that this, um you know, I, the quick takeaway I have is mostly just shoring up the fatigue matchup, sort of on the aggregate. But yeah, I mean, chain did seem to have a slow start. I think that actually, like, uh, I don't know if it's represented in the data, but it, the kind of week three-ish time seemed like people were actually hopping off of chain. This was like. Week three was like when we heard a lot of like hyper on snag and dash and things like this, uh, but obviously you know he kind of came in and he closed out the season pretty nice as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. If you look at our second in terms of wind share, Katsu at sixteen percent. It's a it's a really big big drop off in terms of um where the second place sits in terms of wins and and it was it was a lot closer to be fair right as we went through week, like you say weeks one to three especially uh chain katsu and, and bravo were actually pretty reasonably close especially through week one and two uh for win share but you know True. yeah but, but chain pulled away and and katsu as well especially dropped back i mean katsu week one had the had the most wins as well um but so sitting at 25 wins 16 percent um really the last sort of three weeks for katsu and we'll, we'll look at that in some of the i've also got some weeks five and six specific numbers you'll just see how how uh, how tough katsu seemed to find it. any thoughts on why that might have been why katsu seemed to drop off
0: <laughs> absolutely um katsu is the most interesting hero in my opinion uh in terms of evolution and road to nationals right so we initially saw people on the katsu control deck um little air quotes over control because it's kind of mid-range as mid-range, well yeah. um Which was, in my opinion, a very weak deck for the format, but saw a lot of success because it was fatiguing out chains who weren't prepared to win a fatigue matchup. Um, And, like, you know, it's a Katsu deck, it's a mid-range deck, it can kind of catch some other ones off guard. So it saw a lot of success, even though me and... I know it's funny, because when it was seeing its most success, I think we were preaching that we're like, don't play this deck, it's so bad. Uh, And then, like, you know, it obviously... I don't know how many people stayed on that versus how many people swapped over to Agro ninja, which is almost universally kind of the one I see played more now could be region based as well. But it was interesting to see hero come in almost universally in one archetype and then exit almost universally again, in a completely different archetype.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's still, there's still mid-range. And for sure, there's still a bit the, floating around. But yeah, uh, the true control, I think, has really dropped off. I mean, we're seeing a lot less decks that are playing things like Nourishing Emptiness now, which is, is good because there's no place for that card in that deck, to be honest. Um, but what I did see, and I think is... Uh, really impressed me i think was players who had moved to a bit more of a mid-range list and had a really clear plan against what they wanted to against like decks like chain for instance or decks where they, maybe their matchups were a bit harder which was that they flexed their style in terms of maybe change the game plan up either during the game or they had a really clear plan going in and what that meant for the card choices and they didn't just have these cards that oh well this card blocks well so it's in my deck all uh, this card can exert a bit of pressure so it's, it's in my deck the we moved to a lot more cohesive builds which i think is just is so important um but what we did see was a big drop off of just the Katsu players in general um, just the, mm-hmm. the amount of Katsu being of showing up uh, I think some of the players who had done well on Katsu initially in the first few weeks uh, changed moved, moved across to different heroes um, and I think just the in terms of the format became a bit more hostile for for some of those decks as well um, the the format became a bit more there was a lot more decks showing up we're going to talk about it soon but Dorinthia showed up in a big way in the last uh, the last two weeks which is yeah, it's pretty difficult for Katsu decks traditionally so i think the timing on when we saw the shift might have might have hurt cuts a little bit i think if we'd seen the shift to aggro sort of week two that might have benefited them a bit more but um yeah
0: yeah i think that (laughs) this is funny because this is actually i think my my worst kind of beat in um in the season was that that week I, i decided to play bravo um after dash had literally like dash went from about you know very very low percentage to actually being reasonably high Mm. and i remember that week i showed up and everybody was on dash and i was there was no agrokatsu this is at like a almost 70 player event i was like oh what the heck you know it was like the perfect week for agrokatsu and like everybody had swapped over to dash yeah
1: yeah (laughs) um Looking at third, so we have a, we have a tie for third, Brendan, which might surprise you. Uh, you might you know based on the I season, did, who who did would you? Not surprised. Me. Okay, all right, all right. Well, then I won't ask. But for, so it might surprise some that we have a, we have a tie for third in terms of win shares. Uh, that's Bolton and Bravo coming in at seventeen wins each, which is eleven percent. Bravo, really strong stars we'd already mentioned, yep. um, but uh, quite a poor finish actually. And we'll, we'll dive into the week two, week five, and six data. But Bolton, on the other hand, was kind of the, the opposite story, right? Week, uh, week, week two. We sort of started talking about Bolton a bit more. We knew that, uh, especially in Europe, we are starting to see some results. Week three, same sort of thing. But then uh, week four, in particular, a very good week for Bolton and um, just really closed out the season. To the point that you know it feels like uh, Bolton is a deck that's going to show up to the last the last weekend of Monaco Constructed Vegas in a, in a pretty reasonable way.
0: Oh my God! I'm I'm gonna I would I'm gonna throw my bet in now. It's going to be the second most represented deck, which is. Maybe not surprising in today's current news as we've seen Bolton win a lot, um, and it's you know it's popular, I guess in the in the talk of the people. But if we look at the data, like it's that's something if you just looked at raw statistics of the you know the road to Nationals season, you would not expect Bolton to be a very, very popular deck. But I think nowadays, like people really think that Bolton is kind of that silver bullet. It is that dark horse. I think that it's a little bit too adopted to be a dark horse, but uh, yeah, it's going to be on that. I think that tons of Bolton at Vegas.
1: Yep, I think we definitely will see it. So, um, Bolton Bravo, yeah, interesting that Bravo probably you could even say now uh, could very well drop back to maybe not even being in the in the top five most played here is at um at the event you know you can see cuts obviously more represented we might even see things like dorinthia or dash more represented so yeah i think if you're trying to if you're basically if you're sitting in the last week and you're doing some testing or maybe you're just thinking about you know maybe not even going to vegas but you're just thinking about what the what the close to monarch might be just for fun i don't know if people do that <laughs> um you could very well be putting bits on now that that the uh the format has a bit of a shake up in terms of representation and that we see you know Bravo, for instance, drop away in favor of, of of other decks. So, yeah, interesting to see. In terms of fifth, Brennan, I want to now ask you: Do you do you know what what came in fifth?
0: So we are talking about wins, so we need to preface it with that because yeah. my kind of knee jerk reaction would be Prism. Where's the Prism? Right, we're talking about wins. I saw Prism all the time. Prism was such a popular deck, and there's some just die hard Prism players. But she doesn't show up in the wins, does she?
1: No, no. Fifth goes to Dorinthia, which might surprise some people 13 wins 8% share so not far behind Bolton and Bravo actually um, beating out Prism beating out Dash beating out even Reiner who had a pretty good couple of weeks there um, but actually Reiner not far behind interestingly um, yeah Dorinthia Dur- with 13 wins 8% very interesting you know a very clear you know, basically, I've when I talk about a classic, a classic hero, I think Dorinthia is the classic hero, uh, the epitome of what I think Flesh and Blood early looked like. Dorinthia was the most popular hero in Welcome to Wraith, that's really lived on through a lot of people who have maybe played the game since then, but also people just picking up the game for the first time. I think drawn to Dawnblade and the interaction of reprise and, and how that works. And yeah, we saw Dorinthia, uh, we'll talk about it soon, but Dorinthia had a pretty good conversion rate as well. You know, events that Dorinthia was doing well in, like Dorinthia was doing well in, so um, I think. A big part of that, personally, is just that uh, Dorinthia is not... I take for granted... Sorry, I just to, I'm sidetracking a little bit, but I take for granted that people know how to block against Dorinthia because, to me, that hero's been around since the start of the game. So I've played against that hero a lot, but for a lot of players who have maybe come into Flesh and Blood this year, uh, Dorinthia is newer to them. You know, if we look at... Even the Crucible meta, Dorinthia was like reasonably big, but like that was really dominated by Dash. Uh, if we look at since the start of Monarch Constructor, Dorinthia hasn't really showed up. Like people, if you were, if you're, if you're a Monarch baby, right, in terms of flesh and blood talk, in terms of playing this game, um, Dorinthia's probably been quite off your radar, and it's very likely that people haven't had the experience of blocking into Reprise and and learning how to play those kind of patterns of the game. So it doesn't surprise me that Dorinthia has uh, has done well, well, when it's done well.
0: My favorite anecdote of Dorinthia is um, scrimmage season one and two scrimmage season one was dominated by Dorinthia so much Dorinthia and then season two uh, totally fell off. Obviously like people saw Husk as like kind of bad for it, but chain was actually not really played and Dorinthia just totally fell off. Um, mostly because I assume people kind of learned, you know, figured out how to block against it and had a bit, had a bit of a harder time maybe against some of the new heroes. But yeah, we've seen that kind of consistently in formats. It's like, very young kind of, uh, kind of newer formats have a lot of Dorinthia and then it starts to fade off.
1: Yeah, and Dorinthia and had a pretty solid last two weeks. And I think a big part of that is, you know, your death in Prism uh, had a really tough time. And I think people, the, the win rate of Prism, it was so poor uh, that I think people just, just kind of walked away from, um, from Prism for, you know, for a lot of players and moved towards other decks. And that allowed Dorinthia to come back because it is traditionally a bit of a tough matchup. Uh, for Dorinthia uh, into Prism so I'm not I'm not surprised yeah. that yeah we I think Durantia that is matchup true. is
0: very hard that's that one's brutal um that's for me that was like in my experience of playing Monarch that was my least favorite one to play was to play the Durantia side of Durantia versus Prism just yeah. absolutely worse than Bravo versus Mech believe it or not
1: and the last thing I did just want to say on that. I mean, if we if we are talking, so that's our top five, of course. If we look at some of the other heroes, there we did speak about Prism. I mean, um, you know, five percent of the wind share, eight wins total. Uh, you know, really, you know, only only slightly more than Reinar at three percent of the of the wind share. So, um, and you if you look at the the amount of uh, played, you know, what heroes played the most, uh, Prism far outstrips Reinar in terms of. Uh, I think it's about. Th- over three times more played in terms of events where we have total total data from um, the meta breakdown. So you know to win just over or just sorry just less than double the events, but well over three times the amount of players. Um, kind of shows you that you know Ryner for instance was a was a better choice for a lot of players. I want to talk sure. about. Uh, top eights as well top eight percentage so this is quite closely tied to the win percentage but I do just want to rattle this off um, there's a bit of a difference and we'll talk about it so chain had 31% um, share of the of the total top eights cut to 17% prism does feature here 11% of total top eights came from prism bravo 10% bolton 10% so we see Dorinthia falling out of that five and, and prism uh, sneak its way into third kind of shows you the conversion rate though doesn't it brennan
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's only one hero in this list that actually has, um, you know, converts worse, actually, in the finals, and that looks like it's just Prism. Um, Katsu's above, Chain's above, all that good stuff. So it's pretty interesting. I think Prism was uh, kind of one of the more unique stories of the Road to National season, one of the most popular decks in the beginning, and although it took bad beats, stayed pretty popular throughout the season.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because I actually think that Prism is has a pretty solid plan i think one of the things that we've seen change is these prison decks have moved away from initially it was like herald i don't want to say people say herald hyrule i disagree with this so strongly i think that (laughs) that the herald aggro decks actually have a pretty pretty good place in the meta and i was really surprised like people moved away from these decks to a lot more like aura based decks um people like playing what they're calling like a tank prism which i don't fully understand the implications of why they call it that but this this more i guess like mid-rangey defensive like play auras find value uh prismatic shields build which kind of stumped me in a meta that was so dominated by chain right um and even even yeah. katsu like it felt like if i was playing katsu i'd prefer to play into that than like those classic sure. herald versions because heroes are just so hard to stop as, as katsu For sure um oh, yeah yeah
0: that the like you said like um herald hyrule i had never heard that before so it made me chuckle um yeah i mean you don't want to see that as katsu that is an abysmal match yeah. and then it's chain like i mean i played a lot of persons of the season and i was always very worried to run into herald aggro or herald hyrule whatever you want to call it
1: it's um, called herald aggro i just heard that somewhere. yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah i'm yeah. not trying to perpetrate it's the it's,
0: no. it's very it's a it, it's it uh, rolls off the tongue very nice um but yeah i mean i was way more worried to run into an aggressive herald deck because i felt like I, w- I think that, you know, the chain deck was way more tech to deal with it, especially if you pack ninth Blades. But I packed ninth Blades the entire season. Keep in mind, Prism was one of the worst converting heroes, kind of one of the worst performing heroes. I still devoted a significant portion of my sideboard cards to deal with this hero because I... Just the, the hero with aggro matchup was so uncomfortable. Like, it always felt like you would just always... It always felt like it was slightly out of your control and there was just sequences that you could always just lose
1: yep oh i can i completely agree like i i think we we have uh, someone in our testing team who thinks it's like so favorable to chain it's ridiculous um i actually think through testing that that prism can win that matchup and um it, it not be that far off to be honest it only takes like one or two good turns your deck is so consistent with the power war tune herald is like honestly i think one of the strongest um the strongest heralds if not the strongest herald like the fact that that one resource is so important at least you do so many things for the deck yeah really really surprised to see this move away and i think that hurt prism massively i think that those lists while it won some events and it, it top aided some events and i think we saw some like some you know some recaps and some people on those decks be pretty vocal um or be you know in sort of a maybe in the in the community uh I, I think if you look at the results overall for for that deck and where people shifted to it it hurt it even more than maybe week one and two uh which already was a bit tough so yeah i mean we did see some really good players put some results on herald aggro don't don't get me wrong but um you know they were definitely in the in the very small minority Mm-hmm. um yeah i mean everything else is pretty pretty standard there did want to talk about as well conversion in our full event data so where we had uh, the full breakdown of events which was actually uh majority of events at the end and again shout out to, to tower number nine who really worked to get as much of meta breakdowns as he could to the fact to the point where you know majority of events then had full metadata for us to look at which is really helpful when we're looking at sample sizes um We'll probably just talk about what's different here in terms of from our our win share and, and um, top eight share but this is again full events so where we have full total data um there is and this is basically uh what percentage of total players in the event um converted so this is conversion data so chain 30 percent of players uh top added with with chain and events uh 5 win share so you know you show up with chain I mean, this is a bit simplistic, but you had a 30% chance to make top eight, right? And as to how you'd read that, obviously, that's not the case. Uh, obviously, it comes down to play skill and, yeah. and builds and things like that. But, you know, Chain had the best conversion into, into top eight from, from Swiss and uh, the best conversion from top eight into, or sorry, from uh, entry into Swiss into winning at 5%. Bolton, 23%. Had the second um, highest win conversion rate at 3% and the third highest top eight percentage at, at 23%. Uh, Katsu had 24% of uh, conversions to top eight, so Bolton and, and Katsu really close in terms of players entering and hitting into top eight, and and uh, Bolton with more you know win conversion, a uh, higher win conversion than than Katsu at two percent. So Katsu actually had one of the the lower, uh, equal with Bravo at two percent as well win conversion. Bravo had a, a 20% top eight conversion, so Switzer's top eight. Uh, that's actually the same as Dorinthia at more well, slightly Dorinthia slightly less at 19% but Dorinthia again had a 4% conversion so Dorinthias were top eighting and they were winning uh, they were they were going the distance as they were with um, Bolton to an extent so if i just make this a bit more simplistic our our win shares so our sorry our win conversion so Chain was 5% Dorinthia was 4% Bolton was 3% Rhino was 3% uh, and then Cuts and Bravo were 2% and Prism all the way down to 1% in terms of conversion to into top eights from Swiss Chain at 30% Cuts 24% Bolton at 23%, then Bravo and Dory, uh, and Prism was actually
0: 17%. Yeah, I want to talk about this uh, coming to an event with 5% to win this chain, which obviously I know is is uh, just a joke, but I think that what's funny, what's cool about the chain deck is that it was highly represented in event wins, but it was also highly represented in um, very significant event losses. So like if you were at an event, you would usually see chain at the top tables, but if you walked down to those bottom tables... There was a bunch of chain down there. Yeah. Um, I think with chain, like a lot of the consistency and sort of chains wins over the season was a lot of the kind of the same players winning events um, on that deck uh, kind of multiple times. So seems like the players, but yeah, it mean, like a bias. That music was a cr- <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah i guess i was like man am i (laughs) no but there's definitely multiple people i know that won multiple events on chain um specifically i mean we literally played with one guy dante won two of them um but i remember walking around events um like these 50 plus players and i would see a lot of chain at table you know the top tables but you go down to the bottom there's plenty down there as well
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean definitely and um you see in terms of the other thing as well you've got to consider in these numbers is that chain players are knocking out chain players right like so when people go oh the conversion rate of chain is not maybe as high as we expected man you remember that these chain players because of the prevalence of chain and knocking out chain players or these bolton players are knocking out bolton players and these top eights because bolton had a very a very good last two weeks um yeah top top eight into win conversion for uh, the total events so this is uh just you know making top eight into wins um just want to talk about this quickly because there's actually some really interesting conversion once you get into top eight uh into a win um for all hundred and fifty six events that we have data for. Chain at sixteen percent, Bolton at fifteen percent, Rhino at fourteen percent. So that's where Rhino's really poking his head up. Bravo at fourteen percent, and Durinthia at thirteen percent. Poor weak prism all the way down at six at six percent is one of the lowest, uh, as we talked about. Um only Levia and Azalea, uh, with no wins have a lower conversion rate.
0: Yeah, the prism the prism lack of conversion in the top eight was sort of a narrative that we were uh on pretty early with the some of the data in week one and two we saw that pretty quickly that prisms would make top eight but then rarely rarely convert for the win
1: mm-hmm. yep and i guess just tying this all together Brendan, like what's it what's our point what's what's my point what am i trying to say i think the things we can take away from this is that yes chain was was dominant like we thought um bolton had a, a meteoric rise whether that be uh sabers or raiden but sabers in particular had a really strong last couple of weeks um, Katsu's mediocrity was a bit of a takeaway from me uh, really middle of the pack Katsu had a, a very strong first week looked very promising coming off the back of the PTI in Auckland with the win there off the back of the charity win you know there's a bit of hype around Katsu really dropped off after week two Bravo was consistent but not amazing uh, but a very solid pick and um, it seemed to do pretty pretty. Cons- one of the decks that did uh, pretty consistent across every event in every region uh, Bravo was pretty consistently putting up top eights Another takeaway for me, how bad Prism was in this event. Uh, and this season we already talked about it. And not to say that Prism is the you know the incorrect choice for for going into an event. I think if you have the right list and you have the right game plan, it does well. But overall Prism had a really tough time. And the last one for me, Brennan, is just the surprise of Reinar and Dorinthia. Um, Dorinthia had a you know performed better than Katsu overall, which is you know crazy to think. If we look back at week one and week two, you wouldn't think that Dorinthia was gonna outperform Katsu. Um, and, you know, Reiner, uh, a real surprise there. The the players that played Reiner in general, uh, you know, and did well, did very well. There was, you know, a reasonable number of wins there. There was some really strong top eight performances. Uh, yeah, Reiner, I think definitely a, a hero that was written off heading into this format because of, you know, perceived pretty poor matchup into Chain actually ended up doing, you know, reasonably well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I want to talk about Reiner and Dorinthia because um, what do you think that led to that? Was it people just kind of trying to play... Uh, play the meta in the beginning and then like the kind of latter weeks just ended up being like you know i'm just gonna play the hero that i want play the hero that i like uh ended up performing well with some of these less represented heroes you know throughout the, in the season but towards the end they were picking up some wins
1: i think it's exactly i think that's one of the biggest reasons i think that you know we have brute players we have warrior players i think these players um just yeah just stuck with their heroes and, and did well with them you know i think that's one of the things we talk about with fish and blood right if you know you're you know your class. You know your heroes. You know them well. You can you can do well no matter the um, the meta. I think that's that's very true. If you you build the right deck towards it. The other thing as well is that I think uh, as we went through the season, I think we saw some I guess divergences and plans that people were playing. So you know it was really like week one, week two, even to week three it was like really dominated by. The aggressive deck and the control deck, and that was like, okay, I'm going to control this game, and I'm going to be aggressive in this game. I'm going to try and fatigue this person. I'm going to try and beat them before we get to that point, whatever it might be. And we really saw sort a of diversion from that in the past three weeks, as we as people learned more about the meta, people started to have a bit more uh, less like have less linear game plans, start to think about it more holistically. And I think these heroes just uh, both of both of them can actually do really well into that, especially if they've got you know uh, builds that are tweaked for the meta.
0: Yeah, I actually think. Funny enough, I think that's a big takeaway for if you're going to be competing in Vegas, is that there will be a significant amount of players that will just be playing what they're comfortable on. Um, More Mm -hmm. than I actually would have expected, you know, more than I would expect if I was going into like week one of a road to nationals. I think people will be trying to game the meta a little bit more. Uh, Whereas with Vegas, uh, I know that we kind of made some edits to our chain deck specifically because of this because we think that people will be playing um, heroes I think are fun, dark horse heroes, and all kinds of funky stuff. And you need to be prepared for that. Whereas with Road to Nationals, it feels like you can kind of more predict the meta before you go in, or at least you can try to. Vegas, I expect to see you know a lot more Dorinthias, a lot more Rhinars, some Kanos, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, just a lot more players. It's a wider player base. You get the um, you get the outliers actually show up because in smaller events, maybe you might get one in one event, but for two or three events after that, you might not get the outliers. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely true and, and something that we've talked about. Want we'll to move on, Brennan, uh, and pace this this through a bit more in terms of just talking about our general thoughts on the road to national season. So, just want to start. Any comments on you know the structure? Six weeks, of course. Um, you know we had recaps most weeks, which was really good to to tie that up. Obviously. One of the things that I think worked really well um, wasn't actually, you know, of course, not an official thing, but but tower collating this data has really given us a snapshot of the matter. I think if, if no one was doing this, we would have been working off anecdotal evidence only, uh, which I think would actually paint a pretty different picture of the the format, I think. 100%. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. I
0: totally agree with you. Um, the data has given us so much clarity uh, and it's one of my favorite parts about the season is actually having the data. So huge shout out to Tower Number Nine! Thank you so much for doing that. But if we don't talk about the uh, the season, so six event, uh, six weeks of events, I thought it was awesome. I had a great time. Um, it actually didn't end up feeling like that much of a grind in the end. Um, and I was, if I could play two events per weekend, I would have been doing it. But usually I was just playing one, especially on the weekends I traveled. I think what I'm most excited for next season is to maybe have more events that are more local, right? So as the game gets bigger and as more stores pick up the game, um, maybe I'll just kind of have more events in my local area. So that's going to be super exciting. But I really like traveling. I really liked going to all to these event, to all these events. I think it was awesome finally meeting all these people because we talked about this in some of our podcasts as well. If you played Flesh and Blood um, during Skirmish season or even, you know, kind of Crucible and some of Monarch, like you met a lot of people online, whether it was through the discord or you played online armories or you played online skirmishes and Road to national was just kind of the first time we got to finally meet all those people and that was a that was an awesome that was an awesome experience like finally, you know kind of some of these people I'd talked to for months or even years just finally seeing them in person playing against them. I thought it was it was great,
1: yep yeah no i I think the structure of the six weeks works really well. You have uh, enough time to shift through a bit of a meta change, uh but not so long that we're sort of having you know, a bit of a drag out of events. Um, of course, we move into a calling season and an international, so it felt it felt right to me. Uh, I think six weeks feels feels pretty good. I mean, in the future, it might be more like eight weeks. Uh, you know, this obviously, there was a lot of things that LSS have that they've had to change dates on, had to change, I guess, their their planning path on just due to global events. But I think moving forward, maybe they're going to be able to not do that and, and we might have some, you know, maybe eight weeks sort of thing. We'll have a bit more of a, a path in terms of what, Seasons look like we will be more moving a bit more seamlessly through certain seasons, whether that be you know limited seasons into constructed seasons into blitz seasons, um, whatever it might be. So yeah, no excited about that. I was really excited as well, Brendan, about just the the regions we saw grow out of this. I think we've really seen a growth of Europe uh, through this time as well, especially in places like Poland, uh, in the Netherlands. We've seen some some really good growth from the uh, the European. Flesh and Blood countries, both from, you know, just in terms of the game actually growing there with the player base, but also the the results as well. Um, some of the, the players that we've seen come out of those regions.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that this has happened a few times in Flesh and Blood, but to see these new regions get picked up where in Skirmish it was sort of Hong Kong. That was like a big one that exploded onto the scene in season two. In season one, it was Singapore. And now with Road to Nationals, I think sort of our marquee, like big growth area has been Europe. And it's been awesome to see um, some MTG pros coming over and seeing success in events was really cool. And then also, like you mentioned, Poland and the Netherlands, but also got to mention the United Kingdom as well. They Mm -hmm. have a pretty cool scene over there. And I think that, you know, they're finally able to play their, you know, first kind of big premiere events. If you could call Road to Nationals that. So I think that was really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you. It's funny this time next year you won't you won't call them that, but I think you know three four months ago we were calling skirmishes premier events. So yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a it's an evolution as we go through. You know, effectively a skirmish is a is a is a game day. If you ever played Magic, like it's a local store event, right? Um, and I mean, I traveled to skirmishes in, in season one because there was flesh and blood events to play, and there hadn't been flesh and blood events for well over a year. So I went and played in three different cities, different skirmishes, just to experience playing some flesh blood and the flesh and blood and um, meeting some players from my country's community and things like that so you know in the future i definitely won't be traveling for skirmishes but i'll be traveling for you know callings for pro tours for for whatever it is Um, and that's just the evolution of the game right which is yeah it's awesome to see in terms of i just wanted to you know maybe mention some of the the i guess the takeaways from a metagame perspective some of the things that we we liked or um we think were i guess really good shifts and expect to you know see into, into vegas as well um we already talked about saving but bolton obviously Brennan's one true love um what that means for heading into vegas we we both think that we're going to see that deck uh, played reasonably prominently as well as i do think we'll see raiden builds sharp or hybrid builds as well um i actually i actually like the hybrid builds um i know that people have an issue with that just because of trying to fit the the cards into it i think you can you can do it if you know what decks you're trying to target um <laughs>
0: you're laughing at my notes and i know yeah, you're just <laughs> reading for the first time yeah i put Brennan loves saber bolton it's what flesh and blood should be so yeah saber bolton is it's definitely going to be a serious story in the end of monarch almost to the point where we're beating a dead horse talking about it but uh yeah that deck is really popular you got to be prepared for it and a, a lot of people don't know how the combo works and i think that that's like a huge advantage for the deck so bolton seeing tons of success i also i like the hybrid build um I think that it's actually like the hybrid build really shores up like your matchups against like Bravo. this so other stuff that just kind of slaps you if you're not ready for it. So I think that that's really cool being able to adapt and like, you know, play like a, you know, a more real deck and mm-hmm. <laughs> just straight sabers. It's, it's, it's a dark horse. I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it. Saber Bolton.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the dick can just, I mean, I think I, I didn't share this uh on the pod but in my saturday road to national so the one that i ended up coming ninth and missing the top eight on breakers i lost my last round which was my winning into a turn four a triple lumina turn <laughs> you know my opponent just had the the triple lumina ascension and, and i got whacked for uh eight hits with with the uh, sabers so it's <laughs> you know yeah it can definitely happen it's um it's one of those decks that can just can beat anything on, the, on its day because it can just have the draws that it needs but I think, like you, to your point, you know, bringing in uh, the Raiden can uh, can shore up some matchups that may be a bit more difficult. Yeah, uh, this is about
0: the time I would start giving you some tips on how to pitch your pitch your deck and reach your second cycle because <sighs> obviously that's where you're making mistakes. I do want to talk about my favorite narrative um, or my favorite part in sort of like deck evolution or deck deck perception evolution actually mm-hmm. in Road to Nationals, mm-hmm. and that was actually chain. Um, it was really interesting. The chain deck and the chain strategy stayed pretty consistent throughout the season. But we saw, you know, people thought initially that it auto lost to control, and then people thought that it auto lost to control, uh, plus snag, and then, you know, obviously we've sort of landed in this middle ground where it's like, yeah, it, it can have a hard time versus those decks, but, you know, it definitely could win, and we see most of people opting to actually not fatigue the deck at this point. Um, that was, you know, that was probably, for me, one of the most interesting things to see, to see the different takes on how people would attack Chain and what they thought was effective versus, uh, versus it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely, I think it's, um, we, we're closing out the season, we're coming into Tales of Aria, Tales of Aria is definitely going to shake things up, so I, I think it's been, um, I think for people, six weeks ended up being the right amount of time to move through this uh, this current format, which is, yeah, it's good. In terms of, you know, other sort of takeaways from me, uh, you know, I was happy with the, the results that, that um, our team was able to put up as well, I think we, seven wins in total, ten top eights uh, across the, the four from the team, which was yeah, a really great result um the deck i think we've we've talked about the deck that we've played it hasn't changed too much through the season it has been a few sort of iterations and things like that and um there'll be another iteration going into to vegas um but yeah i'm i'm ready for other decks to to play in tales of aria i've had other decks that i've i've brought to i guess our our testing team that just haven't quite made the grade so i'm excited to to have those uh, maybe maybe make the cut when we come to uh tales of aria class constructed
0: for sure And just want to talk about some, what do you, it's kind of hard to ask you Hayden, because I know your season got cut a little bit short, which wasn't anybody's fault. Um, Unfortunately, COVID did play a factor. So if we're looking forward to next season, what are some things that we would like to see um, changed or done differently? For me, this is kind of my classic complaint, which is actually not a complaint with flesh and blood or play. And that it's that as the scene grows, like we will have more events to play in. They'll be less exclusive. And for me, that's exactly what I want. Like I want events to be you know, more available and kind of less this sort of, you have to sign up immediately and try to get in. And like, it's always this rush. Um, but that is a hundred percent a subject of us, the game being way too fun, way too good. And the supply just kind of outstripping the demand. So I look forward to the day when these things are more accessible and they're kind of more casual. But other than that, I thought everything went fantastic. I totally enjoyed the season. I thought it was run really well. What are you
1: hating? Yeah, I, I loved watching it from you know from a distance and seeing what was happening. Um, I think if, if I thought about things that I would love to maybe see some changes next time, I do actually think that a slightly longer season would allow for a couple of things. It would allow for players to uh, maybe get to more events if they wanted to, which I think is perfectly reasonable. I wouldn't go too long so that, you know, they could space out events um, and players are just spending 10 weeks or 12 weeks playing events or feel like they have to. But eight weeks maybe feels a bit more reasonable. Um, it also allows, you know, stores in certain areas. Uh, so larger, maybe larger states or or larger territories to just coordinate the events bit better in terms of, um, you know, saw in multiple places where stores were really close together. Unfortunately, have to end up running their events on on the same day, uh, or you know, the same weekend, um, because they they couldn't get around it. Basically, they couldn't avoid it. Um, just gives them a few more opportunities. I think as well it would just let us have a bit more breathing room with the meta. I think if we had two more weeks here, I think we would we'd see another another slight shift in the meta. Um, which I would hope that in future metas we just we start to see a bit more shifts anyway as the card pool grows. I think uh, I think as we as we move through classic constructed with more cards coming in, with I think a uh, We've talked about this before and i don't want to dwell on it too much but just the fact that monarch was the first of i guess the more powered sets i guess the full realization of what flesh and blood is um, that monarch had more impact on the format than any other set uh but as we move through and these these sets that come out uh at the i guess the full uh realization of what flesh and blood is that that will be less you know each set will have um less impact i guess is, is my my thought uh, but we'll we'll have to see awesome I'll move lastly to wrap up the show, Brendan, and talk about Class Constructed and what it looks like moving forward with, with Tales of Aria. Of course, Vegas Calling next, and then uh, we have a short break, limited season, then we're into Nationals, which is Class Constructed again with Tales of Aria. That's about four-week season uh, for the majority. I want to talk about a few things that I think we might see, and um, just any of your thoughts as well, Brendan. But I think that we... Uh, um, very likely, you know, New Zealand and US Nationals are the first two Nationals that come up. So they're the uh, second to last weekend and the last weekend in October. And my kind of thought is that there's a reason that LSS have done this. And I think that's that they expect that those two regions will have the, I guess, the most innovation in terms of all the most, uh, the, the decks, the most decks come out of the format, uh, sorry, out of those regions. And then allow other other regions to, I guess, have a bit of a blueprint to, to go from, which rightly or wrongly, um, I think does make sense in terms of they want to try and uh, bring, you know, the heroes into the game that maybe uh, new entails or uh, different decks into the spotlight and then see the meta start to develop from there. If you think about how another card games, you know, it tends to be like the Pro Tour or something and then the, the format starts to filter through like GPs or through um, callings from there. So I think that's why we're going to we're going to see US and New Zealand nationals first. And, and do you think it'll dictate the meta?
0: Do I think that New Zealand and US nationals dictate the meta? Probably, just because it's such a marquee event. It'll be so big and see so many eyes on it. Um, but it's hard to tell. I don't it's weird because if we're taking we're looking at Monarch, um I think that the Monarch meta that we participated in seemed like it kind of stayed pretty similar, even though we saw a lot of changes on heroes outside of Chain. Um, but I expect that Flesh and Blood will become more of a rock, paper, scissors esque format as more heroes are added to the card pool, and that is why I think that we'll have kind of a more diverse format moving forward is that it's just like as more heroes get implemented and even more archetypes, which is what we're seeing, there's more archetypes getting implemented, it's really hard to create a single deck that it just has good matchups into everything, right? Um, and that leads to kind of very diverse and rotating formats is when you do have a couple of bad matchups.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, I guess this is a bit of a, a question on everyone's lips and something that we've we've talked about, will Tails slow the format? Uh, will it bring more complexity uh, will involve but more dynamic game plans as opposed to a format that's been a bit more dominated by linear and proactive game plans i th- so
0: i think that my views are pretty extreme on this in the sense that i think like 100% yes um, like we can just take the sort of the sort of boogeyman of the format and the you know the person's being targeted with that question which is chain the chain deck so this is my opinion the chain deck in its current iteration the way it's built the way it plays functionally won't exist when Tales of aria comes out. Um and this is going to affect all aggro decks and all kind of linear, just ultra proactive game plans. The idea of taxes and hand disruption is just so devastating for those decks that I think they're gonna to have to change how they're fundamentally built and also how they fundamentally play to even exist in the future meta. So my answer is in kind of an overwhelming yes.
1: Yeah. My my perspective is I think it's a bit it's like that's a bit oversimplified, I think, because I think you will start to see evolutions in the meta like you'll find uh there'll be a deck that beats you know like you say rock perhaps is right there'll be a deck that beats the these more taxing decks so then what is the answer to that is it an aggressive deck like do we see these decks actually exist in the same format they are now they just be less effective into a wider meta, for instance that's kind of that's where yeah. my head's at but we'll have to see um one of these things and this is kind of a a theory that for for me is is really starting to i guess speculate now and, and it's something that i know we've talked about brendan actually since monarch came out like this has been something that we've spoken heavily about is that monarch introduced more variants into classic constructed and there's a couple of reasons for that um, you know one of them is that the formats became the game became shorter in this format so we saw a lot more uh, like we said linear game plans a lot less of uh, the deck cycle mattering um but i think even as we move into tales of aria and potentially like we said the game slowing down second cycle of the deck being more important we're still i think what we're seeing with the after the base sets so after welcome to wraith and arcane rising what we're seeing with monarch tales of aria and as we move through in my eyes is a balancing of the power level with variants so i think we're starting to see some more variants come into the game uh but that's traded off with the power level that it's bringing And do, do you think brendan that first of all do you agree and then do you think we're going to see this uh move forward
0: so I agree in a sort of yes and no kind of way. Uh, I remember in the early days of Monarch, um, and we said this a few times we kind of stay on the same deck that we've been since the early days of Monarch. And in, in my perception of the game back then, I was pretty frustrated with the variance for a while. Um, I was very concerned about the classic constructed format, all this kind of stuff. Um, as we progressed in the season, that definitely lessened to a very significant amount because although variance was introduced. Um, the set was still very mechanically complex and you still had to use a lot of play skill to win very consistently. And that allowed me to kind of accept the variance, embrace it, um, and still just try to play my best. And I think that, you know, if your knee-jerk reaction to Monarch is like, you know, some uh, kind of a joke, you say sometimes Mon Casino or Mon Variance, it's probably a bit misguided. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, right? So it's it's probably a bit misguided. Like there is variance, but variance is probably not the reason why you're, not winning right um so while it was introduced i think that it was manageable and um we still had a very fun and complicated format uh outside of that
1: yeah no that's the second question i mean that was kind of i was just do we see this moving forward like do we see this this trade-off of uh power for a bit more variance moving forward
0: um i'm not sure so just looking at aria it really looks like it's, it's putting all the stuff into check. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to be going back to seeing the second cycle of our deck. We're going to be going back to playing longer games. Maybe th- It's not saying that there's not going to be any aggro decks. There's not going to be any proactive decks or combo and non-interactive decks. There will be. Um, but right now, there's I don't think there's like a premier deck that just punishes aggro decks heavily, which if like, you look at the Frost talent system or Ice talent system, It 100% does.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, my kind of overall view, as I said, is that with the introduction of the fully realized uh, game mechanics of Flesh and Blood, it does feel like it does introduce a little more variance, but I don't think that means that we're going to get... I don't think we get more variance introduced as we move through. And what it is actually about, in my eyes, is how you control the variance. So, for instance through the second cycle of your deck is one of the best ways that you can control variance you can control your draws um you know you look at a hero like livia where you go wow you know like it's all comes down to your banishes and what happens there but the deck building aspects and the way that you control the first and second cycles of your deck um is how you and your use of a card like uh skeptic and is how you control your variance and i actually think that's a big part of what Flesh and blood is about is is mitigating or controlling some of the more aspects or some of the aspects that have more variance about them in order to construct your game plan you talk about that with chain for instance i mean uh, it all comes down to how good your banishes are but you can control that you can uh, work on that you can supplement the rest of the deck to mitigate those factors so i honestly think that that's what we're going to have and not just from the aggressive side like we have now i think we're going to see that from the defensive side moving forward as well um you know with, with things like fuse well you know if you don't draw good hands of fuse how do you do that or Uh, if you don't draw these defense reactions or or these cards for all time like how do you but it's all about the second cycle in that regard so yeah i think that if anything actually tails probably gives us more tools to mitigate the the um the trade-off uh because we're probably more likely to get through the second cycle whereas monarch had had the had the balance but didn't have the i guess the the mitigating factors
0: yeah, I'm finally that I finally get to. I'm sorry, I'm I'm happy that I finally get to pay homage to Isaac Olson, who said this in an interview with Sasha Markovic back in like 2019. And it, this is like, variance has always existed in Flesh and Blood. Just what variance looked like in Welcome to Wraith was like no, I didn't draw my blues. Yeah. Or I didn't draw my iron song determination with my steel blade supremacy or like I've sat a supremacy at Arsenal forever and like all my iron Determinations are on the bottom of my deck or as soon as I got it, my opponent had a pivot turn on me and had to block. Like there's always been variance just in Monarch was really when we saw like the second cycle of the deck be I think the least relevant it's ever been in the game. Um, And I think that that was what kind of like, you know, made us on. kind of have the, yeah. yeah, that's what made us have like the knee jerk reactions like, ah, variance. But at the end of the day, it's very on par with sort of the variance we've dealt with this in this game the entire time and you want a certain amount of variance in a game um because
1: if there was more like it'd be more like chess i'd right? just go by chess yeah exactly no no I, I completely agree and and the the aspects of the the variance as well like you say they've just changed what they look like and and again it's because uh for some of them it's a it's a trade-off in, in the power level like you know some of these cards have a bit more in, inherent power but actually the the ability to play them in the most efficient way possible uh has has the trade-off so anyway i think we spend enough time and i'm sure it's something that i think we're going to talk about as tales of aria comes out and the constructor season starts to shape up like what we where we kind of feel we sit versus monarch uh last question i want to, to ask brendan is do you feel like we need any changes to class constructor? do we need you know people have spoken about bands uh do you think do you like the way living legend works um Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, I like the way Living Legend works. I think it's a great system. I knew that we were always going to have to update the old system. The old system fundamentally looked like it didn't work. Um, so I'm very happy with the current system that's been implemented. I know that we have talked about in the pod for some concerns and maybe it's going too fast, but I will I trust the system and I will wait and see. And I'm very happy with the update. I think that in regards to bands, I'm going to have to defer this question to you simply because I think with how the season went for me, people might look at my opinion on bans and say of course he doesn't want it because he saw success with it which is not the case and it's not true but i'm gonna let you answer that one for me <laughs> uh i
1: i don't see any reason to, to ban cards right now um look i think if if there was a, a truly inherently i guess i don't say broken i hate using that word, but if there was an inherent problem with uh the design of these cards like when we saw drone band, i think made a lot of sense i don't you know, husk is probably the one that people said oh ban husk ban husk um, I just don't think that I think because of there was a best deck in the format or there was a there was a hero that had, you know, a slight domination and, and you look at the results like yeah, it had 38% of the wins, but like we saw Bolton, we saw so we saw these decks that had, you know, uh, a six to a fifth of windshare share um, behind it. So I, d- I don't think so. Uh, I think I would monitor it and see what happens. I think Tales of Aria is from what we've seen so far already gives me confidence that we're going to see this sort of the the yin to the yang of what uh, what Monarch has brought in terms of the game style. And is really gonna balance out a lot of these heroes that we saw in Monarchs. So I'm I'm not not too concerned about that, to be honest. Um yep. I like we the living. Didn't
0: have an expansion. Oh sorry, Andrew, did you? No, you um, go <laughs> we didn't have an expansion, let's say for a year, like it's not the case of this card game, but like just to say they are like, Yeah, no expansion for another year after, like from this point starting out. Um, I think that the I don't think banning husk would like do anything. Um but the only thing that I see as the power level I see is actually printed on the hero. And that, yeah. most heroes, that's the way it is. Like the power level is printed on the hero. in Chain is 100% the case. So even if we didn't have another expansion for a year, I actually think that the game's fine. Um, do I think the Chain would stay dominant? Yes, I do. But Living Legend would, um, would totally fix that. Like it's not a Shadow Blade power level thing. It's a Chain power level um it's the go again so i don't think that anything should be banned i think that if any if we were to exist in a format like in a vacuum where there was no you know ice coming out or taxes or disruption um yeah chain would probably dominate but it would just be living legend in my opinion
1: yeah i was gonna say i think the living legend status takes care of a lot of i i do think about the system's actually pretty well balanced and and this pretty thought through in terms of what was going to happen once they got to the full realization again i'm just going to keep talking about this the full realization of what flesh and blood was and there's a reason that you know the these monarch heroes have probably had more success than others and and it's it's not just straight down to players preferences or um or players have built it is you know monarch does have a bit more power to it so yeah not not surprised to see it. i like living legend i do have some concerns about the scalability once we get into it's more, more so in blitz to be honest um because if, if you look at now if the game if the game grows in regions by double in the next year in terms of just a store level for things like skirmish, which is very, very likely could very easily happen as stores reopen, things like that happen. Um, that the living legend status for blitz in particular could be too fast. could be the same for class construct in the future with the, the many callings that we're coming towards and also just more national champs, things like that. But I'll but we'll have to see, I think the change in essence was a very good change. Um, I just have some questions about the scalability of it heading into year three and four. Um, yeah, I think it was kind of it. The only other thing that that I kind of had uh, some questions about was like the tiebreaker system in this game, and I don't want to get into it because it's it's very it's a very vast topic. But um, you know, if I was to talk about something that maybe in the future I would I would look at or consider um, would be you know the the tiebreaker system means that the last round is pretty anticlimactic. You can basically always see you can call the top eight pretty easily. You can see exactly who's in top eight actually from before the last round even starts because of the way that the tiebreakers work. Um in terms of the fact that uh, you know, where you lost your round is important. So the, the later you lose and um of course losing that last round uh is, is the most important. So yeah, I, I think there could be in the future alternatives to that. But also it does you know, we don't have draws in this game, obviously. Um yeah. Yeah, I perf-
0: so I I can't comment too much because I didn't play competitive card games competitively. Sorry, competitive <laughs> card games. I didn't play card games competitively before this, but I like the system. Uh, mostly because it disincentivized draws. And I think that's really cool. You're right. It is an anticlimactic top eight. It's climactic if you're bubbling in like eighth or ninth, uh, because you can have the same record as somebody, but your opponents can perform better. Uh, so, other than that, I like the system currently. It runs very smooth for me, and I'd like to disincentivize draws, but that might be a very unpopular opinion in like the competitive TCG community. Anyway, uh, yeah. that's it for episode 22. I do want to shout out a few things for Arsenal Pass. We are on YouTube. Uh, we have had a you know huge emphasis on youtube recently and you know we put everything up on there we put this podcast up on there and then we have a special one youtube exclusive called time in the round which is much more informal just me and hayden kind of talking about the game and our opinions as well as gameplay deck techs and sometimes the old special video on how to you know talk about a combo that you're probably going to see at an upcoming event so check us out on youtube Um, throw a subscription helps out a lot and has encouraged us so much to you know focus on that medium so much more. So we're all, Hayden, yeah, we always talk about this too. I always laugh when I say this, but the boomers of Welcome to Raid, Hayden Dale and Brendan Patrick have figured out how to use Twitter. We're on there and we would love you to follow us, and interact with us on there. Um, so I am at the says so at T-H-E-F-I-D-D-Y-S-H-A-D-E-S. Um, it's a very rem- reminiscent name of some very popular literature. So that's the one. And then we have Hayden, who is at Fiendale, F-Y-E-N underscore Dale. It's kind of like Toma Fiendale. Um, lastly, huge shout out to all of our patrons, over 120 patrons so far. It's been amazing seeing all the support and yeah, we just can't thank you guys enough. Our Patreon is uh, all about kind of exclusive next level content, right? So while we do the deck techs on the YouTube channel, we'll go ahead and write out all the sideboard guides, all the ratios, all the math, the deck theory, everything on our Patreon and, you know, do a huge deep dive. So you can just pick it up, take it to an event and be competitive. We also... Lastly, like we kind of talked about at the beginning, we are releasing our playmats up on Patreon. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can be subscribed to any tier and it will be available to patrons. We'll be getting that out next week. But anyway, good luck to everyone who's competing in Vegas. And, you know, upcoming very, very soon. I think like this goes up on Thursday. So the next day will be the world premiere. I will see you all there. Be sure to say hi. I'll be the dude with the white hair. Pretty easy to spot out. Um, and until next time, we'll see you guys in the next episode.
1: See you later.